awesome. Well, welcome. My name is Pastor Chris and excited that you are here this morning. This is your first time and believe that God has, uh, God has something for you uh, specifically. We are uh, today starting a new series out of Joshua chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, we're actually going to uh, back up just a little bit uh, the last three verses of uh, chapter 5. And then we're going to look at the first 16 verses of, of chapter 6. Uh, I titled this series, Believe, as Michael and I were talking about it and the staff were talking about it over the course of the last few weeks, the word believe just kind of kept coming to my mind because we're, we're all, we all face battles in life. We all face, uh, face challenges. We all face difficulties. There's not one of us that, uh, uh, that's not at some point, if we haven't already, that we're not going to face some form of a battle in our life. And as I was thinking about that, processing that, the word believe kind of came to my mind because here's, here's kind of where it landed from. I heard this saying not uh, years and years ago and from a pastor, and every good pastor steals something from another pastor, right? <laughs> Um, and, and so I heard it said this way, that what you believe determines what you do. That what you believe determines what you do. If, if at the beginning of the year you decide that you want to, you want to lose some weight, you want to get physical, physically fit, you want to start to exercise, then you don't just go in on, on January the 1st and sit on the couch and start to eat potato chips and expect that things are going to change. Right? And so if you believe that getting up off the couch and not eating potato chips and getting out and going for a walk and doing some exercise and adding those things into your routine are going to change, then that's actually what you do. The problem is our culture has become that way where we just want to take a pill and everything changes. Right? And, and so, so obviously, I'm coming from the aspect of a spiritual aspect this morning that what we believe, what we believe to be true about who Jesus is and what he has done, what we believe to be true about who God is and what he has done, it determines or it should determine how we live. There's a reason why on Sunday morning you get up and you go take a shower, at least I hope most of you took a shower this morning, and, and you put some nice clothes on and you come to church. I hope it's not but just because you feel like if you do the right thing and you sing the right songs and you come in and you give your little hour or you put your tip in the tip jar, I've heard it called that before. Seriously, I had a person say, is that the tip jar? I'm like, no, that's not the tip jar. <laughs> and, and, and because that, those things don't save you. And if you believe that just coming to church and going through the motions and putting your tip in the tip jar and then going home and not ever having a, really a relationship with God is what saves you, then you've been misled. Because what you believe determines what you do. So in, in, your, in your thinking, if you're a little skewed in what you believe, then now you have to begin to reshape what it is that you actually believe, or you've got to begin to understand the truth about who God really is. Because what you believe determines what you do. So my question is, how are you going to fight? Right? We're talking about, we're going to look over the next six weeks of these Old Testament battles through, through the next, next few weeks. We're going, to, we're going to talk about what it looks like to fight through life and fight through the things that we have to go through in life. 
And my question is, how are you going to fight? How many of you guys have literally been in a physical fight? And the rest of you are liars. <laughs> like, you didn't want to admit that. So, how many of you are only children? You're the only child. Okay, well, we'll give you a break. Because if you have a sibling, you've been in a fight, right? How many older, how many, who, who's the older brother or sister? All right, they're the ones, and who's the younger brother or sister? They're the ones who started it, right? The younger brother or sister always starts the fight. And most of the time, like if in my situation, I'm the smaller one, and so I have to have a weapon. Because that's the only way I'm going to win the fight. So, we've, we've all been in fights, and, most, and, and in reality, probably many of us have been in physical fights, literally. And so, we're learning to fight, but the interesting part about this is that we're learning to fight in a totally different way. Because the Bible teaches us that we don't fight, we don't do things the way the world does them, we do them very different. And to be honest with you, the, th the way that God teaches us to fight, the world doesn't understand. And to be honest with you, sometimes we're like, are you sure, God? Like, that's the way you really want it to be? And, and so, we have to be able to understand that, navigate that, and walk through that. So, I'm going to give you three real quick. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of things this morning. And what I desire for you to do is to walk out of here with maybe one or two things that you can actually work on. You see, because it's kind of like the beginning of the year. If you set some goals for yourself, if you set eight or ten goals, it's very unlikely that over the course of the year, you're actually going to accomplish all ten goals. But if you really focus on one one or two, then you're actually see some change happen in your life. So, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of things, but I want you to walk away with one or two that you can actually begin to see God do something in your life. Because if you're not in a battle right now, you will be. You will be, I promise you. Nobody is excused from the battle. Because the enemy is doing everything he can to come after every single one of us, and unless you just decide, hey, I don't want to do anything that I don't want to follow God, then the enemy's probably like, well, you're already screwed up anyway, so he probably leaves you alone. And so, if your desire is to be a follower of Jesus and do the things God asks you to, then the enemy's going to come after you, and there's going to be a battle that's going to exist in our life. And I believe there are some times when you feel like, whoo, I just got a reprieve. But about the time you say, whoo, I just got a reprieve, boom, it comes again. Right? And so, here, here are three things that every battle does. Every battle, every battle requires a response. Like, you can't just get into it and go sit on the couch and say, well, I'm just going to wait till it's over. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. And so, every battle requires a response. We've got to do something. Every battle requires faith. Every battle that you're going to go into, it's going to require faith in, in God and in Him and in what He's doing, unless you're going to put faith in yourself, which is a really bad choice. And then the last thing is every battle has a victory, right? 
Somebody wins in the victory. Now, I realize we live in America and there are, let's be honest, there are winners and there are losers, right? I know we live in America and everybody gets a participation trophy. Sadly enough, we've decided that we can't teach kids how to lose. Listen, listen, listen. If you go to a t-ball game, okay, if you go to a t-ball game, let me, I'll guarantee you there's at least one parent, if not more, that they're keeping score. And at the end of the game, when it's over, that kid comes up and they say, who won? And you're like, oh, you did? Even if they didn't know the score or not. Somebody's going to win the battle. And the great thing that we know about being in relationship with God is that although we're going to face battles in life because he never said we're not going to have any of that, is that he's already won the battle because he sent Jesus to die on the cross and that he's coming back and one day we're going to heaven if we have a relationship with him and our battle's already been won. And so we can stand on the foundation of that. If you don't have Jesus and you're not walking in relationship with God, then it's quite possible, it is possible that you are going to lose. Sorry, you don't get a participation trophy just for showing up. Ooh, that's real. Right? Because too many churches nowadays are just saying, hey, if you show up and you, you sing your songs and you go through the motions, and you, you can go through the motions, but you only get a participation trophy, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to end up in heaven unless you have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just here to tell you the truth this morning. So let's look at Joshua chapter 5. Got really quiet on that one. It's all good. Uh, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13, last, last three verses of, of Joshua chapter 5. It says this, this is the beginning of the story of, of the fall of Jericho. Now, now remember, um, uh, we're coming out of Exodus, we're in Joshua, we're, we're coming out of Exodus. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible, so there's been this journey from creation to where Joshua now is in leadership. The Israelites were, at one point were in captivity in Egypt. Moses was their leader. He led them out of captivity. He led them into the wilderness, a journey that should have taken them 11 days, took them four. 40 years. And the only thing they did out in the wilderness was go in circles and began to complain. They wanted to be free. They wanted to be set free from Egypt. They wanted to be out of a slavery. They, God sets them free, free, free through Moses, and then they start to complain. So just remember that. So now Moses has died, and Joshua has come into leadership of the Israelites. And he says this, now when Joshua was near Jericho, okay, because what's happening is God has promised the Israelites that he's going to to give them the promised land. And so part of taking taking the city of Jericho was a part of the promise of God leading them to the promised land. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander, I like this, I like this part because he identifies himself. 
as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the, to the ground in reverence, and he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What, what I love about that is that, that Joshua knew, because he identified himself, he knew who this person was, the commander of the Lord's armies, and because of out of respect, he fell down, face down on the ground. And it says that he took off his sandals, that the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. So here's what we learn about that before we jump into this battle, is that there has to be preparation. The first, the first part of the battle is preparation, right? It's, it's really interesting. I, I, I was uh, looking it up, and I don't, I don't know if you know it, but professional athletes spend hours upon hours. They spend anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day preparing and training to be professional athletes, to prepare for a game. And some of those athletes are, are playing game after game after game after game, some uh, days together. But they're spending these hours preparing, and let's be honest, athletics is really not getting them anywhere. Not that it's a bad thing. But if an athlete needs to prepare that much to be a professional athlete, how much more as God's children do we need to be preparing ourselves for what the enemy's trying to do to us? And so preparation is really important because most times we don't want to wait till we get into the heat of the battle to then say, well, what am I going to do in this situation? What, what, what am I going to do? It's kind of like what I, told, I tell teenagers. I worked with teenagers for about 12 years, and, and, and I would always tell them, don't put yourself in a situation in, in, in a dark room laying on the couch to then decide that you're not going to have sex. That's a bad idea. If you haven't made the decision before then, then you're probably going to give in to that temptation because you haven't already made that, you haven't prepared yourself for those moments. Otherwise, I would tell teenagers, hey, you need to decide, I'm not going to be in a car alone, I'm not going to be in a room alone, there's always going to be people around because if you wait till that last minute to decide, you're probably going to fail. And that's the reality of it. Now, I realize that there are battles that come on us that we don't expect, right? You get a phone call, and all of a sudden you're like, what? But the thing is, is that how are you preparing for those moments? In those moments where you feel like, man, life is kind of woo, woo, good, then what you should be doing is actually you should be preparing for the battle that's to come. And so your first part of the battle is preparation. We have to learn to trust God through this preparation season in our life for the battle. You see, because preparation starts by putting yourself in a position to hear from the Lord. It puts you, it puts you in a position to begin to hear from the Lord. What did Joshua do? All of a sudden, the army, uh, the army of God showed up and, 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 uh, and Joshua fell face down. He took his shoes off because he was standing on holy ground, and he was ready for what the Lord was about to say to him. But yet he had positioned his heart in a place where he was ready to hear whatever it was that God had for him 
next. And so let's look at what God had for him next. Joshua chapter six, verse one. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets uh, of rams, horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carrying trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance. He said, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord, uh, Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, this is worth highlighting right here, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once, then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets kept sounding, so on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. This, they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that, uh, that, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. What I love about this is got some really practical things for us as we learn to fight. We learn to fight in the way that God has actually called us to fight. And the first step is this, is that we learn to fight by surrendering. You're like, what? That's not the beginning of fighting. But in God's economy and the way God does things, it begins with us surrendering to the will of God. It begins by us surrendering to whatever it is that God has in front of us, that whatever it is that we're getting ready to walk to or walk through or walk around or whatever, we're trusting God and we're saying, God, we're surrendering to your authority and whatever it looks like because what happens most of the time in the battle is it doesn't turn out the way that we think it's going to turn out. And so when it, doesn't, when it doesn't turn out that way or turn out the way we want it to, then we either have to trust God or we have to trust our own wisdom in that situation. 
And so it starts by surrendering in that moment. God, we don't understand. We can't fully grasp why it is that we're having to walk through or go through this or do this or do that, but we trust you and we trust what you have on the other side of this. So we surrender. It's coming to this place of total dependence on God and His type of warfare, not our type of warfare. You see, because the, the warfare that we're getting ready to read, actually, if you were to go to someone who was in the army or the navy or something, they would say, man, this is not a great battle plan. This is not a great battle plan. You're not going to win anything just walking around seven times. And so they surrendered to God's plan, and they knew that, that God was going to do what God was going to do. They trusted Joshua, right? He had just led them out of, e out of Egypt. He had, led them, he had led them through the Jordan. They had just come out of the Jordan, and now he was leading them into this place where they were going to be walking around the walls of Jericho. Can you imagine, like, he pulls the army together, you're the army, and I'm Joshua, and he says, okay, guys, here's our battle plan. We're going to walk around seven times, and you're not going to say anything. Like, no guns, right? No guns, no spears, no rocks. No, nah, we're just going to walk. <laughs> okay, Joshua, that sounds cool. Let's do it. And so, he, they, surrendered to, they surrendered to the plan. They trusted Joshua, and they, even more, they trusted, they trusted God. The second thing we see in this is that the second step in the battle plan is to know and to see God's promise and not the problem. You see, they were able to walk in this, and they were able to, they trusted, they trusted Joshua in this moment, didn't know how things were going to turn out, but they didn't see the problem, they saw the promise, because what had God said in verse 2? He said, I have delivered them into your hands. I've already given them to them. How many times do we miss what God's already told us he's going to do? And, and a lot of times in a situation like that, when God's not doing the things we want him to do, then we take it back into our own hands, and we decide, you know what, we're going to try and make things work. Because God, you're obviously not paying attention. You've obviously, your, your way of warfare just doesn't work. But they didn't see the problem, they saw the promise. And what I love about that, the, not only was the promise that God was going to give them Jericho, but he also promised that he was going to go with them. What they would do is, as Joshua said, they would take the priest and they would take the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant would be out in front of the people as they walked around. Now, if you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, it actually is where they said that God was. It was a representation of his presence, and they were, he saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in front of you. I'm going to be going before you and how many times is God saying that to us that we need to remember that that in every battle in every difficult situation God's already there he's already in front of us he's already fighting for us and he already knows better than what we know and so we have to trust the promise and see the promise and not the problem we have to do things differently we have to learn to circle the promise in faith 
Now remember, so they go out and Joshua tells them we're going to circle the walls and they're going to circle for seven days. And then when Joshua gives the command, they're going to give a shout. Now what I find really interesting is that God had a purpose for them circling for seven days because they understood circling because in the wilderness they circled for 40 years. But in in a lot of that, they tried to do things their own way. They got not long out, and they started complaining and saying, oh, Moses, can you please take us back to captivity? There we had food, where God was actually giving them food from heaven. He was providing for them, and they complained. How often do we complain when God provides for us, but we don't like it, what he's provided? So the second step is to see the promise and not the problem. This is, this is the one I love. The third step in the battle was to keep walking. It was to keep walking. And there's so much to learn about this part of, of this battle. The first thing is this, is that you don't stop short. Can you imagine if they would have got to walking around the walls and they would have gotten like five or, or six days, you know, into it and they're like, you know, we're really tired of walking. God, can we just do something else? Like, and what if they just stopped and decided, you know what, God hadn't done anything, so we're just going to stop. And they stopped short. And when we stop short, we miss the promise that God has for us. And we miss what's on the other side of what he wants to do. So we can't stop short when God says keep walking. Because a lot of times we pray and we pray and we pray and we feel like our prayers go unanswered. And so we just give up and sometimes try to take things into our own control when what's happening is God's just wanting us to trust him and to keep walking and to not stop short. Do you ever feel like, and I'm sure they feel like this, do you ever feel like you're moving but you're not going anywhere? Can you imagine what they felt like as they circled and they circled and they circled and they just felt like, is this really going to happen? I mean, what kind of warfare is this? Can you imagine as they were walking around the walls? Guess what? These walls were there to protect those that were on the inside. They most likely had guards that were standing on top of the wall watching them walk around the wall. They could easily just been up there with their BB gun going pew, 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 pew. Maybe not a BB gun, but... But God even allowed that not to happen. What I love is that they didn't circle alone. They were together. All the Israelites went out and they circled together because when we walk through difficult times, we have to be able to know that we've got people on our side. We're never meant to do life alone. We're not meant to go through battles alone. We're meant to do it together. And so we got to keep circling. We got to keep circling each other. It's one of the reasons why I had you come up and begin to pray for somebody that you know is going through a battle because we got to keep circling. We got to keep circling. And sometimes we have to keep walking for other people because they don't want to walk anymore. And that's what I believe is the beauty of the church is that we're not in this to go to, to do life alone, that part of the body of Christ is coming alongside of each other and, and doing life together and realizing because when the crap hits the fan, then you want to know you got somebody on your team. Because if you don't, then you will stop walking. But if you only show up for church on Sunday and you go through the motions, you go through your hour, then you most likely don't have anybody on your team because you're just going through the motions. Here's what I thought was really cool too is as they were circling, they couldn't say anything. 
had, can you imagine? Imagine just walking around the walls, not talking. Can you imagine the temptation to talk? I mean, for all the women in here, that'd be really hard. I mean, women do say a lot more words than men throughout a day, like triple the amount. That's just statistics, right? But can you imagine not saying anything, not saying anything? Why did God tell them not to say anything? Because in the wilderness, they started running their mouths to each other, chirping. And all of a sudden, they were like, because one bad apple messes up the whole group. And they started chirping. Oh, we don't like the food. We don't like the manna. We, don't, we want to go back to slavery. We want to be, go back to being beaten. At least there we had food. Really? And so what did God tell him to do that Joshua told him to do? Just be quiet. Because sometimes church people talk too much. The nice thing is they did what God asked them to do. They walked around the wall and they didn't say anything. You see, I wonder if because of the lesson that they learned in the wilderness. Hey guys, we don't want to be walking in the wilderness for the next 40 years when it would have only taken us 11 days. Maybe this time we should listen to God and just keep our mouths shut. That's a big lesson to learn. The, the last thing uh, as a part of this battle to keep walking is that um, God actually put as a part of their walking routine rest. Remember, it didn't take very long for the it didn't take very long for the Israelites to actually get around the walls of Jericho. It's actually a pretty short distance, but it says in the evening that they would go back and they would rest. How many battle plans include rest? You see, because it's in those moments when we choose to, it's really hard in the middle of a battle to rest. Because, because the tension within us grows so much and the anxiety and all these things grow within us and we begin to what if and what if and what if and what if, don't we? And, and maybe we need to change the way of thinking instead of saying, well, what if this happens and saying, but what if God does this? See how I changed it? Not what if the enemy does this, but what if God does this? We begin to change. And so they begin to rest and they begin to go into those moments where Joshua would say, okay, guys, hey, we're done for the day. You need to go rest because God knew what was about to come. And we've got to learn to rest in the journey. And that's one thing that I'm learning the hard way over the course of this last month is to guess what? It's not laziness, but it's learning to rest and know that God's in control. And that we can put our full dependence on Him. You see, what God was doing, He's allowing them to rest. He was allowing them to put their focus in the right place. Because on day seven, when the trumpets blew and Joshua told the people to shout, the walls came falling down. So not only did they see the miracle, listen, listen, don't miss this. Not only did they just see the miracle of this happen, but guess what happened after the walls fell down? 
now the group of Israelites have to go into the city and they have to kill every man, woman, child, and animal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine knowing that you're walking around this city for, for seven, you know you're going to be walking around it for seven days, that you're not supposed to be talking, but you know that if God does what he says he's going to do and these walls come falling down, that you're getting ready to kill every single person that's in that town. So they had to be prepared for what was about to come. They probably shouted and they celebrated, woo! Now it's time for the real work to begin. Now I don't know, God allowed, God commanded those people to be killed because of their rebellion against him. You're like, well that's not fair. Well guess what, God is a fair God and he gives you a choice and whether you choose it or not, that's up to you. Well, that's not a loving God. Yeah, he is. He gave you a choice. He also sent his son to die on the cross for you. But if you decide that that's not what you want, then he gives you what you actually want. But there was one person he spared, and that was Rahab, the prostitute. You see, what had happened was Joshua had sent some spies into Jericho who had gotten through the wall. They had gotten behind the wall and they were spying out what was going on in, in Jericho. And Rahab took those spies in so that they wouldn't be caught and they wouldn't be killed. Again, Rahab was a prostitute. And, she, and so God said, okay, Joshua, when you go in there, send all your people in, kill all the men, women, children, animals, but spare Rahab's life and her family's life. And here's what I love about that. Here's what I love is that this is just a picture of salvation. That God takes a broken, messed up person who still has a heart for the things of God and he saves them and their whole family. You see, because we are all Rahab. And what I love is that God takes Rahab and he puts her in the lineage of Jesus. And thankfully, because we're all broken, messed up people, God has offered salvation to us. We've been given that opportunity. And I love how God just sticks that picture of salvation, that picture of Jesus in the middle of this Old Testament story. And then the last step. It wasn't done. The last step was to shout for victory. And remember, when they shouted, they still had not seen the walls fall down yet. But as they began to shout in victory, then the walls began to fall down and then they began to see the miracle and the promises of God that God had already won and that he was coming through on his promise, that he was being faithful and in their shouting, they were giving God the glory for what he was doing and I think that's maybe part of the battle that sometimes we forget is that we need to shout victory and proclaim victory even when we haven't seen the victory just yet. 
We haven't seen the walls fall down. You don't know where you, you know, you've been praying for your marriage and for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Well, you got to keep walking and you got to keep praying and you got to keep preparing because at some point I believe that God will eventually bring the walls down and we have to walk in the promises of God. And we got to shout victory over addictions. We got to shout victory over strongholds. We got to shout victory over our prodigal children. And trust that God, and know that God is going to do his part. I'll say this though, in all honesty, every battle doesn't turn out great. Every battle doesn't turn out with a win, as we'll see next week when we begin to jump into Joshua chapter 7 and chapter 8. But every battle doesn't always end in a win. But it says they blew the trumpets and the army shouted, the men gave a loud shout and the walls collapsed. And it says there, everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Now, my question to you as the band comes back, comes back up is how are you going to fight? How are you going to choose to fight? Because if you're not in the middle of it right now, you'll eventually be confronted with it. And if you've just come out of one, then you have to know that God most likely is preparing you for what's next. Because I believe that God, we know that the world is pretty messed up. And the world is going the opposite direction of the things of God. And as believers, there's going to be things that we're going to face that we don't fully understand. We can't wrap our minds around. But it's in those moments we either decide we're going to give God the glory or we're going to try and do things our own way. Many of you guys know that back in the end of December, 1st of January, Ashley and I found out that our oldest daughter, Allie, had cancer and had a had a child who's early now is about eight months old. And it was one of those moments where we were like, God, we just, we just don't, we're not sure we understand. I felt like God said to us, not your place to understand. It's just your, it's just your responsibility to walk in faith and know that I've already won the victory. So we decided then that our motto was going to be our story, His glory.
And here's what I'd like for you to do this morning. Some of you came up here and you prayed for somebody that's in a battle. And I think that's great. I think it's really important for us to intercede. But what I love about what the Israelites did and Joshua did was that before the battle was even won, they already started to shout victory. When they still couldn't see what God was going to do, they still decided we're going to shout victory because that's what God told us to do. And it wasn't until they shouted, listen, listen, it wasn't until they shouted that they actually saw the miracle. It wasn't until they shouted victory that they actually saw the miracle. And so I believe maybe this morning we need to proclaim victory over these battles. Will you stand with me for just a moment? So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to boldly ask you, just like I asked you at the beginning to come down and pray, I'm going to ask you to step out. I'm going to ask you to come down and proclaim victory. Some of you, I know it's going to be the same people, and that's okay. Some of you, you need to proclaim victory and see God do what only God can do. But are you going to trust Him? Are you going to surrender to Him? Are you going to start making preparations now? But come and proclaim the victory because God's already there. He's already gone before us. He already knows the outcome. We already know who wins. And I believe as individuals, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. And maybe this is your moment where you step forward and you come forward because you're proclaiming victory in your life. Maybe you need to, there's a stronghold in your life that you got to get rid of and you're going to proclaim victory over. You're like, I've done it a hundred times, Chris. It's never worked. Well, this time it might. And it can. If you'll just trust God and believe that His is the victory. Will you close your eyes with me? Give him, give him praise right now. Give him praise. Tell, tell him thank you. Tell him that thank you for, the, for he's already won. Thank you. Thank him for the victory. Thank Him for what He's going to do in your son and in your daughter. Thank Him for what He's going to do in you personally. Thank Him for what He's going to do in your job. Thank Him for what He's... Thank Him for what He is doing. Celebrate the victory. Give it to Him. Release it to Him. It's not yours anyway. You only have a false sense of control if you think that you have anything that you can control over this situation. And so you proclaim it and you let him have it. And you surrender it to him. We're going to sing this song and it's a, it's a celebratory song of victory. 
king of my heart, where we're surrendering to him. We're surrendering to him. We're saying, God, whatever. You have my heart. We know that you're in control, and we're going to give you everything. We're going to trust you. Make this your Jericho moment where you're walking around the walls and you're proclaiming the Lord's victory because he's going to do a miracle. Shout the victory.